Hello and welcome back to Flight or Fright. I'm Emily and today we will be talking about fear. What is fear? Well, according to Google, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. In my opinion, fear is just the feeling of being afraid even if there's no reasoning behind it. Some people feel fear when they have a presentation, confrontations, tests, or even a big event. I myself fear fear for unknown reasons, and it pisses me off because I have no idea why I'm scared. But yet, I still fear fear, and in my mind, I know that there's nothing to be afraid of, but my body still chooses to panic. It's one of those things that don't stop unless whatever triggered it has passed. Not even breathing exercises can calm it. Since we all have different reactions, I wonder what triggers fear in others. Let's see. Erica, what causes you to feel fear or become afraid? What causes me fear is when I feel like something is going to attack me and I don't even know what is it. I also feel fear when I have to talk with strangers. Um, Like, for example, yesterday, right, I was doing an interview for a, for a job that I was applying and I didn't know the person. I started, like, getting nervous and my hands and my feet started, like, getting watery. I also feel fear when I have to go to sleep and it's very dark. Uh, I feel um, fear when, let me see, I feel fear when I have to pick up, when I have to answer my phone and I don't know who is calling, I don't know um, who is going to be like the person behind the phone, who, is gonna, who I'm, I'm going to speak to. I also feel fear when... I also feel fear when I feel like I'm doing something wrong because I'm a person who is like kind of like perfectionist. And I also feel fear when I feel like um, I, I cannot like transmit the things I want to say to other persons since English is not my first language and I'm a native Spanish speaker. So that like made me nervous a little bit. So those those are the things that made me like fear a little bit. I agree. One of my fears are also like not really the dark, but like what could be in the dark because you can't really see it. But I have to sleep with the lights off. I can't sleep with the lights on, so I have to deal with it. And another one of my fears, I don't know if it's a common fear, but I've heard a lot of people have this fear. It's like the open ocean. You don't know what's below. And I've watched this episode of a plane that crashed because people were, um, they were parachuting. And the plane crashed and the guy landed in the middle of the ocean. He had to stay in the middle of the ocean for 24 hours and all around him was water. There was nowhere to go because all around him was water. And it's like, there's nothing you can do when you're in that situation. So... That's one of my fears. And another one is um, open doors. Well, that sounds silly, but 
open doors, half cracked doors, and like somebody looking through the crack. Like, imagine you're home alone and you're in the bathroom or something, and you leave the door half open and you see somebody looking at you through the crack. That is so scary. This reminds me of this show that I used to watch when I was younger. I still watch it, but it's a repeat of the same episode since the show was discontinued. It's Courage the Cowardly Dog. I had never heard of that, but it sounds like it is about a dog named Courage, who is a coward. Yes and no. Courage is not really a coward. Courage is a timid pink dog with paranoia problems. His owners are an old couple living in a farm full of bizarre adversaries. Courage must overcome his fear and help save his owners, Eustace and Muriel, from ghosts and paranormal spirits living on the farm. Although Muriel loves Courage, Eustace loves to tease him and scare him. Since you haven't watched any episodes, let's go binge and we'll be right back. We interrupt this program to bring you Courage, the Cowardly Dog Show, starring Courage, the Cowardly Dog. Abandoned as a pup, he was found by Muriel, who lives in the middle of nowhere with her husband, Eustace Bang. What creepy stuff happens in nowhere? It's up to Courage to save his new home. Stupid dog, you made me look bad. Welcome back. We just watched season one, episode four, The Demon in the Mattress. It was basically about how Muriel didn't like her mattress because the springs were loose. And so they found a sale of a mattress on the newspaper and they called the number. And when Muriel was calling the number, the other person on the line said this. As you can see, Courage found the sale on the newspaper to be sketchy, and it was true because when the people came to deliver the mattress, which they already knew the address of the house, um, when they delivered the mattress, they were really sketchy, and one even barked at or like growled at Courage. And when Muriel lay down on the mattress, the demon in the mattress possessed her body, and Courage had to search over the internet to find an exorcism recipe or procedure. And Courage and Eustace were fighting about who was going to perform the exorcism. And Eustace was the one that had to go first. And when they performed, when Eustace performed the exorcism, the ghost or the demon, which was possessing Muriel's body, was making fun of the exorcism. And so Courage took it into his own hands and was the one to perform the exorcism and it worked because the demon came out 
And but later on, the demon took over Eustace's body, and so it was a never-ending cycle. So since we just watched the episode, what did you think about the show? And how did you feel watching the show? Because the show was discontinued. It's a kid's show, and apparently it was too scary for kids to watch. So did you feel fear? Yes, I did feel fear, especially when the demon started laughing, when they was doing the exorcism. Imagine May 9, watching that episode, I would not be able to sleep. Alright, how did fear show up in this episode for any of the characters? I believe um, fear show up in this episode, especially when there was like argument who was going to do the exorcism to the other person who was with the demon inside. Well, we, we can't sit here all night. What do you mean we? She likes you. Go see how she is. I may be man's best friend, but really. I agree. I also saw fear when Courage carried Eustace up the stairs and they saw how Muriel was acting because she was possessed by the ghost or the demon. Won't you join me? And when Eustace was performing the exorcism, the demon was laughing at him, and so he was nervous and scared. Get that demon! Get that demon! Hullabaloo and howdy do. Musty prawns and coming tip tip. Timmy Buck too. <laughs> Call that an incantation. <laughs> okay, so knowing that Courage, the dog, has paranoia problems, why do you think he defended the owners? Um, I think he did the although he has paranoia and he defended um the owners because those are the only people that he knows in their his family. And also, like, he was trying to, in a way, like, shows the respect that he has for them. I agree. I also think that he defended his owners because in the story, well, in the beginning, in the introduction for every episode, it talks about how Courage was abandoned and Muriel was the one that took him in. And I guess now he has an attachment and he feels responsible for her safety. And in the episode... Courage was the one that was able to uh, remove the the possession from Muriel. And when Muriel was possessed, Courage tried to not hurt her because he knows that it's her body and that the ghost is inside of her body. And so if he hurts Muriel, it's not really going to hurt the ghost. But when the ghost or the demon took over Eustace's body, Courage bit Eustace, and after Eustace was possessed, they sent out the mattress with Eustace inside of the mattress, which I I don't really know the symbolism behind that because, yeah, I don't really know what that means, but I guess 
Courage cares more about Muriel than he does Eustace. Okay, last question. Which character do you connect or identify with the most and why? So with between Courage and Muriel or Eustace, which do you connect more and why? I believe I connect the most with Courage because although he was small um, and he has some insecurities and I have insecurities too, especially when I have to talk with a stranger or I have to do something that no, it makes me nervous. I still do it. Because at the end of the day, if if we don't do it for ourselves, if we don't protect our family, who is going to do it for us? So I I believe that courage has a lot of strange. I also identify with courage the most because even though he's always scared and paranoid of everything, he always tries his best and he knows that He's the only person that can save his owners since his owners are not really as anxious as they should be. Like, they put off everything. Even if Courage tells them that something is wrong, they always say that everything is fine and they never look more into it. And that's why they get into the situations that they get into. And Courage is always the one to get them out of it. So... I identify with Courage the most, and I don't really identify with Muriel or Eustace. Okay, this is the last question. What other movie or show do you see fear show up in? One movie that approached fear in is The Little Mermaid. I see the issue of fear coming up in The Little Mermaid because King Triton is very faithful and protective of his daughters. He fears humans and what they are capable of. They kill Queen Athena and so he becomes overprotected and bans anyone from going to the surface, which inflicts fear into the community. Yay! Now that we've talked about how fear shows up in movies and shows, let's talk about how fear shows up in literature. For the past year in my humanities class, I've read many stories, but one of the stories that closely resonated with my issue of fear was Ellen O's Kodama's Ramen Shop. This story zooms in on the importance of communication and family, telling the story of a Korean-Japanese teen girl who helps her grandma around her Japanese-style ramen shop, but gets mistreated because of being half-Korean. She wants to attend college to make her artistic dreams come to fruition, yet has fear of something happening to her grandma while she's away. So, in the end, she has to make the decision of whether going off to college or staying to aid her grandma. To further dissect the story of Kodama's ramen shop, the grandma, which is Obasan in Japanese, grew up in a time where there was a war between Japan and Korea, which then led to Japan trying to obliterate Korea by forcing Koreans to change their names to Japanese names and follow Japanese traditions. Think of it as a SWAT team. Being raised in this time, Obasan grew up biased with the mindset that she was better than Koreans and that Japanese were always right over Koreans. Being as biased as she was, she always mistreated Jesse's mom. Jessie being the main character who is Japanese and Korean, and Carrie being the mom who is 100% Korean. 
Obasan or grandma would constantly kick her out of the restaurant and would think that Carrie was trying to sabotage the restaurant by trying to add Korean dishes to the menu as revenge for what had happened. But of course, this wasn't the case and it was all in Obasan's head. Not only would Obasan mistreat Carrie, she would also mistreat Jesse by trying to make her pick and choose to be either Korean or Japanese. She would badmouth Jesse's mom and would constantly shame Jesse's Korean side. Now that we know all this, let's read a quote that represents fear. Jesse's heart ached for missing her mom. If only Jesse hadn't gone away that weekend. She didn't even like camping. If only she had changed that stupid light bulb at the top of the stairway. Obasan had been nagging mom about it for a week. Jessie made her mother promise not to change it on her own, but mom was so stubborn. Jessie remembered Auntie Mio's call. They'd found Carrie at the bottom of the stairs. By the time Jessie reached to the hospital, her mother was already gone. She never got to say goodbye, to tell her mother how much she loved her. Sometimes the guilt was almost too much to bear, but the worst part was the overwhelming sense of loss. Jessie had lost the most precious person in the world. It was why Jessie was afraid to go away to college. What if something happened to Obasan while she was away? Then she would be truly alone. As you can see, Carrie's passing took a toll on Jessie. Jessie constantly blamed herself for her mother's death, not being able to be there, not having done the light bulb fixing instead of her mom. She was just in grief. This caused Jessie to fear for her grandma, even if her grandma treated her the way she did. In a way, fear stopped Jessie from abandoning grandma and keeping what was left of the family together, letting Jessie's character shine through. Reading this story, I knew what I would have done if I was in Jessie's shoes, but I wonder, what would you do and how would you feel if you were mixed and your grandma made you pick and choose or shame one of your ethnicities? How would you react if your grandma spoke ill of your late mother or your loved one who passed away? What would you do if you saw how your grandma mistreated her workers simply because of their race? Would you leave, speak up, or simply stay quiet? I asked a few people and this is what they had to say. If I was mixed and my grandma or anyone made me pick and choose one ethnicity over the other, I would feel hurt and I would try and distance myself from them, stop interacting with them and practically ignore them overall. Mostly because of the fact that they chose to ask me to choose one of my ethnicities, which is like telling me to not be myself or stop accepting myself. That's true. I didn't think about the fact that if somebody told you to pick and choose one part of your ethnicity, it's like telling you to not uh, be yourself because your ethnicity is like a part of yourself. And like somebody telling you to choose an ethnicity due to pride it's like them not wanting you to be yourself. 
I wonder what other areas in the story people saw the issue of fear. Let's ask Michelle. One place in the story of Kodama's ramen shop where I saw fear arising as an issue is the part where Jessie is reflecting on the moment she found out about her mother passing away in a freak accident. Um, she reveals to the reader the guilt she felt over never being able to say goodbye and tell her mother how much she loved her. And she feels like a sense of loss of the most precious person in the world to her. And I think that's part of the reason that she feels fear and that fear paralyzes her. Like it makes her afraid to go away to college. In fact, she says like, what if something happened to grandmother while she was away? Then she would be truly alone. That quote from the story really resonated with me in that I can't imagine the fear that must come up for a teenager when they lose a parent and how that fear can make them paralyzed um, and limit their ability to make decisions that would benefit them. At that point in the story, I remember hoping that she would overcome her fears and pursue her dream of going to college. During that part of the story, I was also hoping that she would overcome that fear of something happening to Obasan. But I thought about the fact that she was probably traumatized from not being able to do something for her mom. And so she felt the fear of something happening to her grandma and having double guilt. But yeah, I was hoping that she would get over it and like, I don't know, it sounds bad, but I was hoping that she would like move on with life. Because I think that's something that her mom would have wanted anyways. This story is a reality for many kids. They live with elders who have nasty attitudes and ideas and try to pass those ideas over to other generations. And that's exactly why I picked this story. In my own interpretation, the meaning of the story is that you should never let fear take over. Imagine if Jessie had listened to Auntie Mia when she had said something about Obasan being old and stuck in her ways. Every generation Obasan had spewed hatred to would also be old and stuck in their ways and the cycle would never end. But Jessie broke that cycle by being honest with Obasan. She let go of the fear and Obasan did the same. Obasan was afraid of being looked down on due to her mistakes and failures. Obasan realized her wrongs when Jessie's mom died, but Obasan didn't admit her faults and kept this going for years. So an important theme of the story is we should never have fear of admitting our faults, wrongdoings, or even taking leaps of faith. Keeping our faults to ourselves and not admitting them to others who were hurt by them does more harm than good. We should not be so self-centered and afraid of judgment. Like Jessie, we should also never be silenced by others. Never let others tell you that you should respect even if you don't get that respect back. Not only does Jessie speak up about Obasan's wrongdoings, but she also cares about Obasan. Even if Obasan gave her a really hard time, she cared about Obasan and what could happen to her if she went away to college. She put Obasan first, and knowing that made Obasan finally admit her wrongs and see the damage she had done. I think Ellen O teaches us that communication is key and that it's okay to fear, but to an extent. Aside from the quote I read during my interviews, another part of the story where this specifically shows up is when guilt and fear hit Jessie when Auntie Mio tells her that Obasan is in the hospital due to an anxiety attack. Jessie rushes home, and at home, Jessie apologizes to Obasan, but Obasan stops her and asks her why she hates the shop. Jessie admits that she doesn't hate the shop, and everything that was untold for many years unfolds. In the end, Obasan and Jesse get everything off their chest and are committed to change for the better in order to stay as close family. 
After Jessie admits that she doesn't hate the shop and that she actually doesn't like the ramen, she asks Obasan if the reason she hated mom was because of the kimchi, which Obasan hates. And Obasan says that she never hated Jessie's mom. She's actually liked her and loved her more than her own son who didn't care for her. I never told her because I was ashamed, Obasan said in a shaky voice. I was ashamed of my failures and my mistakes, Obasan sighed. I am the product of another generation, another time. It is hard for me to talk about these things, but that doesn't mean I can't change. I'll just need reminding. By letting go of fear, Jessie admits that she doesn't like the shop because of the ramen. And Jessie opening up caused Obasan to also be truthful, let go of fear, and admit her faults. She tells Jessie that she doesn't expect Jessie to stay back from college, which was Jessie's fear and assumption for so long. As a reader, I really liked how Obasan and Jessie worked through their issues, even if it took years to do. And it shows me that communication is key because I believe that if they had just sat down one day out of those years that they had those troubles, I think they would have worked through the issues that they had much faster. And I think it was just lack of communication and miscommunication because every time that Jesse would try to say something, it would always end in yelling or Jesse leaving or like Obasan trying to ignore it. And Jesse talks about the tactic that Obasan uses whenever Jesse has something to say. Obasan just goes quiet. So it was those issues that um, kind of made everything worse. So in the end, I really liked how the story ended. Now that we've talked about how the issue of fear shows up in literature, let's talk about how it shows up in the news. So, about a month ago, I read an article called Opinion. Fear about the coronavirus is normal, but don't let it control you. And it was uploaded by a site called News ELA. And to put it short, the article was about the beginning months of the coronavirus, how people were panic buying or stockpiling things, and how they let fear take over them, but it was not recommended to do that, and there were suggestions of simple things that you could do to feel at ease instead of panicking because you were not in control. Personally, I don't know anyone who stockpiled during the coronavirus before quarantine, but I do remember rumors being spread that a lockdown was going to happen, and so people started panic buying, and I even saw it myself. Like I would go to stores and the aisles would be empty and there would be long lines so i just decided to stop going to the stores because there was going to be nothing left for me so i wonder do you know anyone who stockpiled or did you yourself stockpile during the coronavirus pandemic oh my gosh yes i definitely know someone who stockpiled things pre-pandemic and that would be my husband he ordered from a restaurant supply site, I guess, like an eight pound bag full of penny pasta, a three pound tub of peanut butter, a two pound can of grape jelly, a three pound can of refried beans. We don't even eat refried beans. Three huge containers of instant oatmeal. And I've never, ever seen him eat oatmeal in the 25 years that we've been together. 
<sighs> Needless to say, all of those items are still in our kitchen cupboards and we have never eaten them. So I'm going to donate them to a food kitchen. Oh wow, that's a lot of food and you guys didn't even use any of it? Jeez. Okay, so seeing how he reacted, do you think it's better to fear like people who stockpiled in the pandemic like your husband did? Or do you think it's better to be chill and laid back during these moments of chaos? So looking back now, I can understand why my husband panicked and went out and started stockpiling provisions. Um, I mean, it came out of a place of fear. And I guess in a way, fear can be a good emotion to have in that moment because it triggers that sort of fight or flight reaction for us, which is critical as human beings for survival. But in hindsight, that same fear also caused irrational thinking on his part and behavior, and that can be debilitating. So I learned from that that it's probably better to be a little more chill and laid back in moments of crisis. That's true. Sometimes it's good to fear during these moments, but it's best to be laid back and chill so that you can think rationally. And it seems like the author also agrees because they said, fear is okay. It is normal to feel afraid. Even the experts are probably afraid. There are many things about the coronavirus that they don't know yet. It's scary for everyone. Still, try not to let the fear control you. You may have to live with it for a while. So let's ask Cindy, what do you think about this quote? And do you agree or disagree? Why or why not? This quote made me think not about coronavirus, but about another article I read recently about drowning. And the article was about how drowning is the second leading cause of death for adolescents. And both of my kids are adolescents and they both love to swim. We always go to Rockaway over the summer a lot. And Rockaway is dangerous. There's a riptide there. The waves are crazy. And it really just made me freeze with fear. It made my stomach turn to think about them drowning. And it said in the article that you should make kids wear uh, life vests when they go into the ocean. There's no way either of my kids are going to wear a life vest in the ocean. But I'm really tempted to make them wear mine. It seems like Michelle and you are in a disagreement. But... I kind of agree with you based on the situation because I am also scared of drowning. Um, I am 16 and I still don't know how to swim. Don't come for me. But I am scared of going deep into the ocean. But I would also not wear a life vest. Not because uh, it makes me look silly, but kind of also because it makes me look silly. And yeah... I kind of agree with you. If I had kids, I would make them wear life vests. But being me, I wouldn't wear life vests right now. But we are very similar. I am scared of drowning. When we did the portion about fear and where I was talking about my fears with my guest, I said that I had a fear of drowning. Um, Simply because you're surrounded by water and there's nowhere to go. Like if you were on land and you were stranded on land, at least you're on land and you can walk. But in the ocean, there's nowhere to go. You don't know what's below you. You don't know what's coming to you. And that's why I don't really go to the beach. But fear is not always good. 
you sh- sometimes you should take your chances, but it's better to be safe than sorry at other times. One of the quotes from opinion, fear about the coronavirus is normal, but don't let it control you, that I asked people's opinion on, which I felt was the gist and most important part of the article, was the part where the author talks about how humans, myself included, are bad at reacting to fear and that when we fear, we try to control. Many people misconstrue the concept of accidents. They think they are more likely to get in a plane crash than their car crash whenever the plane shakes because that's in the air and cars are on ground. A human controlling a flying piece of metal. But it's actually the opposite and yet we still fear because we fear things that we don't understand. The author mentions how sometimes we do things that don't make sense just to feel like we are in control. That is already happening with coronavirus. And that is exactly why I chose this article. It is based on an event we all have experienced and can relate to worldwide, which makes the concept of fear easier to understand. This author finally mentions how fear is okay. It is normal to feel afraid. Even the experts are probably afraid. There are many things about the coronavirus that they don't know yet. It's scary for everyone. Still, try not to let the fear control you. You may have to live with it for a while, which I completely agree with and still implement into my life. Fear is a human thing. Even animals experience fear, but don't let fear take over your life. Yes, it's better to be safe than sorry, but you can't and shouldn't. It's better to be safe than sorry your life away. We only have one life to live and you should live it to the fullest. Of course, you might still experience rushes of fear which are uncontrolled, but push past that and trust me, you'll be glad you did. Of course, still be safe and follow rules if there are any, but if you have any chance to be out there, take it. Okay, now that we're done with all that boring stuff, I would like to tell a story about fear. And before we get into the story, I want to put a trigger warning uh, Emily, why a trigger warning? Because this story involves chaos and probably a gun, which it's not confirmed, but according to me, it was a gun. So, trigger warning, if you don't like guns, skip. I don't know to which part, just skip, and let's get into the story. Okay, so when my family lived in Crown Heights, like, five years ago, which was 2016, We would take the B-15 to my house, and it was always full of tired kids who took up two seats to sleep and got yelled at by tired adults who hated their jobs. Um, I can relate. I was always tired from school, and I would have to stay at my aunt's house for like five hours until my mom finally came to get me because she didn't trust me being home alone since there was a shooting in my building, but that story is for another day. So, I'm sitting there minding my business, trying not to fall asleep. And for some reason, people haven't invented a sleeping bus. The bus snaps always hit different. And when you wake up, you feel renewed, like if you were a newborn baby who finally got to stretch after being in the womb for so long. Anyways, I'm sitting there with my suspicious-looking book bag on my lap that looks like I'm carrying a mini fridge and a human torso, but it's actually my three binders, which were needed in my sixth-grade class for some reason. And my mom is beside me by the window carrying all of the shopping bags because I didn't have any space. While my sister is a row behind, blocked from our sight because the bus is that full. Have y'all ever seen the Broadway station on a summer day good enough to go to the beach? 
Yeah, it was that full. I couldn't even move my arm because I would accidentally elbow somebody in their butt. Everything is fine, and we are all trying to get home. The bus driver is speeding, trying to finish his shift as fast as possible, so he's skipping stops nobody wants to get off on. And he stops at this one stop where a man with a bucket gets on and, like, five people got off on. It's like a water bucket? It was more like a paint bucket, like the ones you get from Home Depot. And he's wearing a white t-shirt, some blue cargo pants, and some sandals. Because it was really hot this day for some reason. I can see him from my seat because there was a mom and her two younger kids sitting in front of me. And we are sitting closer to the back door of the bus. So he sits on his bucket right next to a lady who was sitting in the elderly seat where it has the label, please give up your seat to the elderly, disabled, or someone in a wheelchair, or something like that. And everything is fine until this lady stop gets there. So since this guy with the bucket is in her way, he gets up and moves the bucket, and she gets up, walks a little to the door, turns around, and starts arguing with him. And you can just tell that everybody on this bus was like, bruh, because everyone turned around, looked, and then turned back around. It is so hot in this bus that we did not have time for this. It's like the bus driver didn't even, because he closed the bus doors and just sped away, meaning the lady just lost her stop. So she's like 70, and she's arguing with the guy who looks around her age, and he sinks back down into the bucket next to the empty seat. And she's still arguing with him as the bus moving. I don't remember much of the argument, but I do remember that when he sat back down, she started arguing with him more about him blocking the seat from other people. So he got up from the bucket and asked anyone if they wanted to sit in the seat, and no one replied, so he sat back down, as he should. But she kept arguing with him, and my mom is whispering in my ear to tell her what they were saying, and I'm trying to listen and translate, but I don't have the capacity to multitask like that. So half the time, I forget to tell her and she gets mad at me. And when they full on start yelling, my mom pulls on my shirt a little. It felt like a top secret mission or something because she was trying to be as discreet as possible, as if they would even notice. And she's telling me to put my book bag under the seat, but I physically can't because of the size of my book bag was like a mini boulder. And I can't even open my legs because again, the bus was packed, so I started giggling because she's kind of panicking in my ear, and it tickles. So suddenly, the lady starts telling this guy to bring it outside, and she's like opening her bag to pull something out. And the guy is not even paying no mind to her at this point. She feels butthurt, so she tells him she doesn't play that and keeps threatening him. There were gun threats. This lady had a gun in her mini purse. The people on the bus start moving to the back, but there's no room to move to, so they are literally stuck in place, and my mom sees this and asks what's wrong. So I tell her that this lady has a gun, and my mom literally grabs my neck and tries to force me to duck, but there's nowhere to duck since my book bag is in my lap. So there we are, with no true shield except the people surrounding us. And as bad as that sounds, there were so many people on this bus that if anything were to happen, we would be more than safe. I wasn't tripping. My mom was panicking, though, and I was laughing because I'm terrible under pressure. As she's gripping my neck, as if that does anything, she starts yelling at my sister who's in the back to take cover. But again, we are literally all set with how packed this bus is. At all of the chaos, there was an angel. 
A lady close to the guy in the gun purse clutching lady says, Grow the up. There's kids on this bus. She looked about 30. So the 70-something-year-old gun lady says, Y'all have no respect for your elders. I'm older and I've been through more than both of you. And the nice lady is quick and says, I don't give up. How old you are? There's kids on this bus. You should be embarrassed. Take that outside. And she says this as she tells the people by the door to move out of the way. And she tells the bus driver to stop the bus and open the doors, which he does. Can you believe that through all of this, the bus driver didn't stop not once? He wanted to finish his shift so bad with or without attempted murder on the bus. He didn't even say anything or call anybody. He just kept going. I don't blame him, though. So the lady gets off the bus. And the man stays on, and the rest of the bus ride was as normal as before, but the people stuck to the back of the bus even if the gun lady wasn't there anymore. I kind of got in trouble for laughing and not being quick with translations, but as you can see, I didn't fear for my life like I should have, and that comes to show that fear is good in some scenarios. I just kept picking my head up to see what was happening because I'm nosy, and that could have ended really badly. Anyways, I hope she got the help she needed because to pull out a gun like that and threaten someone's life in public in front of like 60 people, including what I think is an MTA worker who is a very strong witness, you must loss of care for all of your life and there must be something very wrong with you. So yeah, that was my story of fear. I should have feared in that situation, but I kept calm and... Some people wouldn't have kept calm in this situation, but in other situations which are less intense, I would probably panic, but for some reason in this situation, I found laughter as the only way to react, which is probably my only reaction to fear, I think, and I wasn't the only one in this in this scenario, so I'll ask my sister who was in this situation as well. Now that I've told the story, let's ask my sister some questions. Erica, do you remember the story how I remember the story? Yes, I remember the story. That's when we used to live in Kronheis and we used to take the, the bus 15, right? Mm -hmm. To our house. I remember there was a lady inside of the bus And she was, like, arguing with another person. And then, I don't know where, she took a gun out of her purse. And then I was very nervous at the situation because I didn't know what was going to happen. My mom was panicking a lot. And at the same time, I was translating to my mom what the lady was saying. And then on top of that, my little sister, she she was not looking nervous at all, honestly. She was just there looking, and my mom was telling her to translate, and then she was telling me to translate at the same time, and we I didn't know what to do with that situation. So what I did was I just stepped there into our stop, and my mom didn't know what to do, and she was panicking. Um, she was pushing my sister. She was um, she was holding Emily's neck. My mom was very nervous, and I was very nervous. But thankfully, nothing happened, and we are here now. Okay, uh, since we were in different parts of the bus, what were you thinking while you were in the back of the bus? Well, as I was in the back of the bus, 
I was just thinking I was gonna die at the moment, honestly. Okay, how do you think this relates to my issue of fear? Like, in your personal opinion, who showed fear in the situation? Well, I believe it relates to your issue of fear because, as you say, a lot of people was panicking in the bus, and I was panicking too. I was very nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen with the situation. And I was also like, I was a little nervous about the bus driver because he was he was driving and he couldn't like pay attention to what was happening behind him <clears throat> while he was driving. And I was also nervous about the kids that was on the bus. And I was mostly nervous about my mom since um since the language barrier, she didn't know what was what was happening at the moment. And it was kind of like um it was kind of tense because. I didn't know what to do when I was a child and all of the emotion was running inside of me. Okay, thank you. Okay, now that I've asked some witness about what they saw and how they felt during the situation, let's ask some outsiders who were in the situation about what they think and how they felt. So, Scarlin, based on what you heard about my story, what would you have done differently or how would you have felt in the situation? In this situation, I will be obviously scared and will probably try to hide in between the people. But because the bus is packed, I don't think I could have done something else. I will have to wait till the situation stops or the driver decides to stop and leave us at the station. Or I don't know because it seems like he's not scared. Yeah, I don't think there's anything else that I could have done since like the bus was full. There was nothing else that I could have done since I was like stuck to my seat and I agree with you the bus driver didn't seem scared but when I did the interview with Erica she said that probably the bus driver couldn't do anything since he was paying attention to driving so he couldn't really focus in on what was happening inside of the bus but at the same time when it was happening, the bus driver didn't stop at any stops. Um, He never stopped to, like, call anybody. So he only stopped once somebody in the bus told him to stop. But I don't really blame him. Now that we've got Scarlin's opinion on what she could have did, let's ask my humanities teacher, Michelle, what she thought she could have done or what she thought I could have done differently in the situation. Wow, that is such a crazy New York story, Emily. Um, So your question, what would I have done in that situation? I mean, in all honesty, if you live in New York, chances are you've had a moment like this. Um, And I have definitely been in situations where I decided to be a bystander, sort of like what you were. Like, in fact, most people do. Like, the bystander effect is actually that. It's like when individuals are less likely to help a victim when there are others present. So... I don't blame you for reacting the way you did. I mean, you did what you needed to do to survive and to protect your family um, and your family's safety. So um, I am curious, though, about like what it takes to be an upstander. Like, what was it about that woman that stood up to the 70 year old, you know, gun lady? Um, What made her, you know, stand up and tell her off? Curious about that. Oh my gosh, yes. The bystander effect is so crazy. When I was sitting in my seat, I didn't think about helping him because um, the bus was full. I thought somebody else would help him. You know, I'm at the back of the bus. There's a lot of people in the front. Somebody could have helped him, but nobody helped him. 
And I didn't think about his safety at the time. I was just thinking about what my mom kept whispering in my ear. And um, I think the lady stood up and became an upstander. Probably because she saw how many kids were on the bus. You know, Crown Heights is full of kids. And this bus is always full whenever you get on the bus. So I probably think that she was scared for the kids and she didn't think about her safety first, which is a really good thing. I hope y'all didn't fall asleep on me. I know this episode was pretty long, but I hope y'all saw fear from a different standpoint. I hope hearing about someone else's fear could help you relate and feel at ease that you are not alone. We all fear and some have more fears than others, but we should never let our fears take control. See it as a competition and push yourself out of your comfort zones once in a while. I hope y'all enjoyed. Thank you for watching. And for all the people who contributed and added their voice, thank you for spicing up my podcast. This is Emily signing off. Flight or fright. Peace.